Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the FACT Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am FACT's Vice President of Community Relations. I would like to thank ALK for being a sponsor of FACT's Roundtable podcast. Please note that today's guest was not sponsored by ALK or compensated in any way by the sponsor to participate in this specific podcast. We're sitting down one year later with nationally certified school nurse Robin Kogan, MED, RN, NCSN, whose commentary has been featured on CNN and the New York Times. We're going to explore what back to school 2021 might look like this fall during the next phase of the COVID-19 pandemic. Robin, welcome to Facts Roundtable podcast. We're so thrilled to have you back on the show. It is such an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much. I was looking when I was on last time. It was in July of 2020, so just a little over a year ago. And I honestly feel like this is Groundhog Day, but worse. Exactly feels like that. It does. Even though it's been a year, it doesn't feel like it. Can you bring our listeners up to date on what has been happening in this last year? Well, First, it feels like I'm saying COVID is like dog years. It feels like we have added years onto all of our lives or taken years off of our lives. It's been just completely exhausting. And I have to be honest with you, Carolyn, I really felt more hopeful around 4th of July 2021 than I do today, just a month and a few days later. So back to March of 2020, when everything came to the surface. Obviously, things were known well before then, which is part of the reason we're in the circumstances that we're in. But back in March of 2020, my school district shut down March 18th, which was one of the last school districts in New Jersey to shut down. And I remember it was very short notice, and we were told to pack for two weeks, that we would be back in two weeks. We were actually back to -to face-to-face learning a year later. March 29 of 2021 was when our school reopened and we didn't reopen for everyone. We only ended up being able to gradually bring back pre-K to second grade, then third to fifth grade, fifth to eighth grade. We never brought back our high schoolers. So those students who are now hopefully returning to school September of 2021 will not have been in school since March of 2020. And the other piece of it is COVID has now impacted our third school year. So it was the 1920 school year at the end, March to June, May. It was all of 2020, 2021. And here we are in 21-22. And the reason I said it felt like Groundhog Day, but worse, is because we know what works right now. We knew anyway, what works around the COVID-19 virus. 
I can't say we know exactly what works around the Delta variant because it is the game changer. And to make this much more complicated, there are so many states that are refusing to allow the exact mitigation strategies for safety that we know work. They're not allowing them into our buildings this school year. So there are districts in Florida that are being told if you mandate masks, if you require mask mandates, if you don't allow all the students in full force, if you do these tried and true mitigation strategies, you may lose your federal funding. It's just mind-boggling. It is. It is scary, and it is against all public health principles. And as a school nurse, I am honestly fearful. How do you expect us to keep our students safe if, if we can't even say we need to use the same strategies we used last year that we know work? Now, I'm very concerned, and what makes this even more complicated is the Delta variant. Every day we're learning more and more about this variant. And what really scares me is the impact on children. I've been reading a lot about it. I want to keep up like all school nurses on what's happening. But I read an interesting article today that talked about the acceleration in children is related to the lack of vaccine participation by parents. That is just very stunning. And how do you even approach that? Well, we thought we could approach it by making the vaccine free and accessible within five miles of most people. All these giveaways and incentives and really celebrating the fact that we have this life-saving strategy, but there's still a portion of this country that refuses to be told what to do. And I want to take out of the equation communities of color where there may be absolutely reasons based in historical trauma as to why they are questioning this vaccine. I want to remove that from the equation, but even removing that community from what I've read and seen and talked to people are very willing to have reasonable conversations one-on-one and get questions answered. That is different than this 30% base of a prior administration, I'm just going to say that, who refused to be told what they need to do. I'm sad to say that our children's health and well-being and being able to safely bring them back to school is being politicized. Kind of at a loss to bring good news to this discussion today. I don't want to be a downer or give you bad news, but I'm really at a loss and I'm very concerned about our kids. It is very concerning, and it is really important for us to bring the truth to the table and try to look at the fact, just like we do with food allergies, right? You lay all the facts out, and then you try your best. Playing off of that just a little bit with the Delta and the Delta Plus variants, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges at school for our children? You just mentioned a large challenge of the adults not being vaccinated, but is there anything at a lower level that maybe parents can be looking for? Well, I always go back to our tried and true return to school discussions when we have our students with any kind of health concern or food allergy is, number one, does your school have a school nurse? As a parent, if you're new to your area, 
ask to meet with your principal, ask to meet with the school nurse, get these things set up ahead of time so that we have access to all the medical information we need to make sure your students are safe. And that would be if you're new to the district, and, and I'm speaking from my experience in New Jersey, which may be different from other parts of the country, but we would need an updated physical, we would need emergency care plan that we would write based on the information that was presented to us, obviously the medication with any documentation that needs to go along with it, but have those conversations. But I'm very sad to say that even throughout a pandemic, there are still many, many schools that do not have a school nurse present. 25% of schools, this was prior to COVID, I'm afraid it's maybe even more now because we have a concern about our school nurse workforce, but 25% of schools in this country had no school nurse at all. 35% only had a part-time school nurse, so that's 60% of schools. 57 million children in our country, 60% of schools either have no school nurse or a part-time school nurse. Then the other 40% may be present in every building every day, but maybe the ratios are astronomical. It could be one school nurse to 2,000 kids in a high school or more. What I want to say to parents is, number one, make sure there's a school nurse in your building and partner with them. We are children who have food allergies and other health concerns. They are on our radar from day one, but we need to know. We need to know all the information and be on the same page. Now, COVID adds an additional layer of concern here because last year, many schools were hybrid, which meant that basically very few were in buildings all day. So oftentimes, food allergy issues were less of a concern because kids were not eating in school. That's what happened in my district and many other districts. School was half day to be able to have two different cohorts because we had to limit the number of children in a class. This year, it seems like many districts are not limiting class size at all. So if you're not limiting class size, you won't allow masks in buildings and you're not physically distancing children, what is left that we're doing? Is it hand washing, which is important, but as we know, hand sanitizers typically do not remove food allergens. I, as a parent, I would want to know right now, what are the public health mitigation strategies happening in my school? Who's in charge? And what can I do to become more involved in making sure that my child and other children are going to be safe? This is great advice, and you lead me into just another slight variation on this conversation, is do you feel parents of children with food allergies or special diets and other health care needs should approach their schools differently this year? One example is the food supply chain that's been very impacted. So a lot of the food products aren't the same. The bread companies are actually outsourcing sandwich bread. So therefore, how should a family work this through? Should they go right to the school nurse and ask for that help? Should they go to the principal? What is the school nurse's role in just lunchtime? Well, this is what's really on the table here. In my district, anyway, last year we had no lunchtime. This is going to be revising, trying new things, seeing what's going to work. I am not 100% sure what we're doing right now about lunch, and we are only a few weeks away from school reopening. And that's why this feels similar to last year, but again, we know what worked last year, but it doesn't seem that that's what's being implemented this year. 
And that's the big concern. Your point about the parents contacting the school nurse, by all means, yes, these phone calls need to happen, but maybe the school nurse is not working this summer. Many school nurses did not work this summer. So yes, go to the school leader, go to the counselor, make your concerns known, go to the head of food services to find out what's happening on their end. This is advocacy on steroids right now around COVID and all of our kids' health and well-being because it seems like there are some states that are leaving it completely up to the individual districts for everything, including masking, universal masking, regardless of vaccination status. That's what I think is the safest, but that's not happening everywhere. I hope I answered your question. You did. I mean, it really does go back to just advocacy. And it almost feels a little bit like the wild, wild west, which really means parents are just going to need to step up and just start asking lots of questions and not taking no for an answer and just keep going, keep pushing, keep asking. That's what I'm hearing from you. And asking these questions publicly, go to your board meeting in August, be present, demand answers. They have to give you answers. Is there enough staffing for the needs that are going to be happening? Again, is there a school nurse in your building? How are you going to ensure that your student is going to be safe? I don't know what's going to happen with eating in school. I feel like we're going to maybe end up having students eat in classrooms, which we know is not ideal because of the allergens that then stay in the room, the possibility of food sharing. I mean, all the things that we know are concerning when it comes to our students with food allergies. We are very concerned about the social and emotional being of our children. And then children with food allergies typically, unfortunately, have been the target of bullying. Some kids haven't been in school in 18 months. So we don't know the behaviors that we're going to see. We don't know what this long-term persistent toxic stress has done to our students, our staff. We can see in some of the adult behavior what's happening out in the world, can't we? That is so true. We can't even get on an airplane without people acting up right now. It does feel like the Wild West. I don't feel the communication is strong right now. And that tells me that's because the plans aren't in place or they're still being fleshed out. But my question is, who's at the table making those plans? Is there a COVID task force at your school district level? If on that COVID task force, is there a school nurse? On that COVID task force, there should be parents and there should be parents whose children have food allergies. That is a very good point to look for a COVID task force. Not one in every district, I will tell you that right now, but there should be. That's a really good tip for parents to even look for that task force to ask about. In terms of COVID, how are we going to manage our students, especially if there is food back in the classroom? Excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Things that keep me up at night. And you know what, as much as I don't want you to be up at night, I'm really glad you're up at night, though, because you're the problem solver. It's our school nurses who are going to get us to the finish line. I don't want you up at night, but I really do want you. And I appreciate that because school nurses are getting our students and community to the finish line. We did an incredible job last year, but we're tired. And I have to tell you, we're also concerned that we've gotten a lot of pushback from parents, not all parents. But we've gotten a lot of pushback from school staff on one side who believe we are not doing enough, as in we should be excluding more children from school. There's a lot of fear out there. And we have gotten a lot of pushback from parents, not necessarily allergy parents. We've gotten pushback about quarantining, 
pushback about a child having a COVID exposure. Parents and just the general public has not been very cooperative with contact tracing when the health department calls. And we're trying to contain the spread. We need to contain the spread. And this Delta variant is much, much more transmissible than COVID-19. The viral load in your nose is a thousand times more than COVID-19. This is a different beast. Wow, I did not know that. That is a And that's why there's some breakthrough. That's why some vaccinated people are having breakthrough because the variant is much more transmissible and it's a higher viral load. What is really scary to me is because this is airborne, finally they're saying, yes, this is an airborne transmission. It doesn't take much to, to become infected or to have an exposure when somebody's viral load is that much higher. What does that mean to us for these physical distancing measures that we used last year? The time frame that we used, which was 15 minutes over 24 hour period. If you'd had an exposure, if you were near someone who tested positive for COVID or who was symptomatic for COVID for more than 15 minutes over a 24 hour period, that's out the window now. We don't know what the newest guidelines are going to be because we haven't been told. And so even looking at that in terms of best practices, you're right, we did have some information on just the regular COVID-19, but going forward then, how do parents stay up to date? Like, what is your suggestion for a parent to actually know who to trust and where to go and where to find best practice information? This is the problem because we have a lot of misinformation being shared and disinformation being shared. So misinformation is information that people share believing that what they're sharing is true. They're not necessarily checking the sources as reputable, reliable, based on data, based on research. They're sharing Facebook information. That's not reliable information, but a lot of people are getting their news from sources like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, and Twitter. Disinformation is completely different. That's a purposeful sharing of news that you know is absolutely false to create chaos and confusion, which it seems like that's what we have right now. What I suggest is that parents really do their homework in terms of who they are listening to. Is the source credible? Is the source reliable? Is it based in science and research? And the thing about science that we have to understand, science changes. When new research is released, science is always moving. It's always looking at the most up-to-date research and then pivoting. It doesn't mean that they didn't know what they were talking about. It means they have new information, just like we do with food allergies, right? We have kids all the time now going through these amazing food challenges and their outcomes are changing. That's science. It's based on data. And that's what's happening with COVID. Unfortunately, we've learned a very hard lesson in the importance of public health messaging and what happens when that messaging is tainted. It's not that the CDC purposefully changed their messaging, but they had to update their guidelines based on the latest data that they had in their hands, the credible data with the incredible research that's being done all across the world about COVID. 
what was tainted was certain groups who use that information and the fact that the guidelines have changed to make it look like the CDC did not know what they were talking about. That's not true. And this is where the problem comes in. Who are we listening to? Make your choices carefully and ground them in data and information, not opinion. That is so true. Thank you for bringing that up. Someone was talking to me the other day and they said that they felt it was like getting on an airplane. You, know, you buckle in and then at some point the pilot tells you you can take it off your buckle and then you need to put it back in and that's how it goes. As more information comes forward, it changes and that's good. This is part of the process. So I really appreciate you explaining this to our families and our listeners so they can really get out there and make some good decisions. I'm circling back to school nursing. So how has nursing changed in the last year and a half? And then how can we as parents support our school nurses? Oh, thank you for that question. Yes, that's the ultimate game changer. We are on the same team. We want your children to be safe and flourishing at school. So be our partner. Be our guide through what works best for your family because you are the experts. Parents and children are the experts in their food allergy decision-making. But make us your partner. We want to help you. COVID has changed so many things around school nursing. I think on a positive, if we can find any positive out there, it has at least shined a spotlight on the importance of having a school nurse in every building every day. Because who's making those assessments? Who is taking care of your children? That's been one positive. The work of school nurses has certainly been spotlighted in the media, which is new for us. Typically, it's the stories that were done. We were not used as the source in a health media story. We're much more often now being tapped as the expert. So that's been a big game changer. We have something called the Future of Nursing Report that comes out every 10 years that predicts, based on a consensus study, what is needed in the next 10 years in terms of nursing. For the very first time, school nurses were part of the Future of Nursing. One of the recommendations was that there needs to be a school nurse in every building every day, which is fantastic. Let's hope we get the funding around that as well. And so the scope and practice of school nursing, I think, is better understood because of the focus on what school nurses have done during COVID. Unfortunately, like all of nursing right now, there is a real concern about our well-being and our ability to continue to function at our highest effectiveness under consistent, persistent stress. I think we're all feeling it, right? It's not just school nurses. I think we as a country and as a world have experienced a collective trauma. We have been under toxic stress now for more than 18 months. I think I said this before, when I think of my families and I think of COVID, some people say, oh, we're all in the same boat, but we're not all in the same boat. We are all in the same storm, but we are riding this storm out in very different boats. Some of us are riding this storm out in a yacht, Some of us are riding the storm out in a rowboat with a hole in the bottom and we're trying to scoop the water out as fast as it's coming in. Some of us don't even have a boat, we're clinging to a buoy out in the ocean somewhere. And that's our kids. That's our most impacted communities. That's like the community that I serve as a school nurse. We have to be so mindful of how people have experienced COVID and it's not over. 
as much as we want it to be over, it is not over. Robin, you are just phenomenal, and I just appreciate you being with us. So before we wrap up today, is there anything else you would like listeners to hear from you? I would love to ask our parents to please get vaccinated. Please encourage your friends and family who have concerns to get their concerns addressed. This is our only way out. This is our only way to mitigate this virus from continuing this very dangerous mutation that's happening right before our eyes and rapidly accelerating. If you really wanna protect your children, and I understand there's concerns around allergy and the COVID vaccine, but those questions can be addressed between your pediatrician, your allergist, your school nurse. There are many people who have significant allergies that were able to successfully get vaccinated for COVID. And the other point I wanna say is that there are children in ICUs across this country that are on ventilators across this country because of COVID. And do you know that because of the containment factors, they are there alone. They are not with their parents. They are not allowed in these buildings. Hospitals are overrun now. So if that one thought will have a parent decide today when they listen to this to get vaccinated, to protect their children, please go to every measure that you need to, to get vaccinated. Thank you, Robin. Very powerful words, very wise words of expertise. We appreciate your time. Again, we know how busy you are and you bringing this information to us as a gift. And so I just want to make sure you understand our heartfelt thank yous to you. Thank you very much. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show when there's really good news to share. But until then, (laughs) right, but until then, taking the truth and taking the facts is the best that we can do right now. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate all the work that your organization does. Before we end today, I just want to thank ALK for being a wonderful sponsor of the Fact Roundtable podcast. Thank you for listening to Fact's Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.